Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you have a lifestyle of going in search for Jesus? Do you look to spend time with him so that you may truly grow to know him better and love him more? Unfortunately, sometimes in our search for Jesus, we can have impure motives. We can look to use Jesus to our own ends and for our own devices in ways that are not helpful to us or pleasing to our Heavenly Father. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 6, that we might go and search for Jesus in an increasingly pure and thoughtful manner. Well, welcome to another teaching. Good afternoon. It is a uh, Thursday afternoon here in Texas. Hopefully y'all are doing well and loving on Jesus. Hopefully you're doing well and loving in Jesus. Hopefully y'all are doing well and loving for Jesus. Hopefully you're doing well and loving through Jesus, to Jesus, in Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. Just keep saying it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then say it some more. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Obviously, we want to, in every way, continue to grow living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus. Right, Gopin? Nothing is more important than that. Nothing matters in this life except Jesus. And your life, if you're living and breathing today, Ultimately, all that matters is that, number one, you know Jesus, you genuinely know him as your Lord and Savior, that you're relying on him and trusting in him and clinging to him for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, that you believe he is the Son of God, that you believe the word of God, that he came and lived a perfect life for you, that he died a perfect, torturous death for you, and that he is indeed alive and risen. He has conquered death and made the way for you and I to have our sins forgiven and to come into relationship with the triune God. It's in Jesus and only in Jesus, John 14, 6, that we have relationship with God the Father as our heavenly Father. God the Father is actually our heavenly Father. He's our Father, our daddy in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, the son, Jesus Christ is our Lord and savior and master and king. We're his, we're his bride. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit is our guide, our comforter and our counselor. So Father, we just thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the incredible word of God, the holy scriptures. But above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God. Jesus, we worship you and we praise you and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the word of God. Give us eyes that see you and ears that hear you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, today we're... Continuing in John chapter 6, we're going to try to get through verses 22 to 29. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we will get rolling. John 6, verse 22. The next day, 
The crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. Powerful verses. So you remember Jesus feeds the 5,000 in verses 1 to 15, and we did the teaching on that. Then we did 16 to 21, which is Jesus walking on the water, where his, uh, and we went through John and Matthew and Mark and, um, you know, we, uh, we had studied in, in each of those, right? In each gospel, we had studied the different accounts. Um, the guys did a great do- job with that. Stephen and his mom, Janice, did a, uh, a wonderful job in um, just pointing out the, you know, the, the differences or the additions in the, in the different gospels. This story of Jesus walking on the water after he feeds the 5,000 is in John, as we read it. But as we said last time, it's also in uh, Mark 6 and Matthew 14. And so they did a really good job with that. So now we're we're in verse 22. John ends uh, the account. Well, 21 ends with, uh, you know, they were afraid of Jesus because they thought he was a ghost. It says in the other Gospels and Mark and Matthew. Then Jesus tells them that who it is. He says, it's I. Don't be afraid. And then they're willing to take him into a boat into the boat. And then it says in verse 21, chapter six, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. And we talked about that once Jesus gets into the boat, the boat just makes a complete straight beeline for the shore without any effort, without any rowing. We had said last time that scholars said that the disciples, it says, had rowed three to three and a half miles, it says in in, uh, John 6, 19, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles. And because it was the wind was against them and because the waves were so, so strong, it was took them six to eight hours to row three, three and a half miles um, where normally they could have got across the whole lake in a couple hours. So now in verse 22, it says the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there. And that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. So you notice that the crowd, they they were fed by Jesus. They 
They saw this incredible, miraculous sign of what Jesus had done for them. Jesus took five loaves and two fish and fed what scholars say could be 20,000 people. 5,000 men minimum, because it says 5,000 men, but most would have had a wife and perhaps two children. So it could have been up to 20,000 people. So they're looking for Jesus. Now we said in verse 15 that the reason they're looking for him, it said very clearly back in 15, it said they knew this was the prophet that was to come into the world and that they were trying to make him king by force. So this massive crowd was going to come and they were going to raise up Jesus to be a, a king to their own ends because they wanted deliverance from, from Rome. Israel was under Roman occupation at this time. But that's not why Jesus had come. Jesus didn't come to be a physical deliverer, but a spiritual deliverer. Jesus came not for the salvation of their country, but for the individual salvation of their souls. And it's so important we get that, that Jesus is concerned about each of the salvation of our souls. Jesus isn't big about countries, okay? Now, when countries go bad, when, when, when the vast majority of a country is terribly ungodly, the judgment of God can come. The judgment can come swiftly from the triune God. But Jesus is concerned with individual souls, with every human being. Is your soul secure in Jesus Christ today? Are you trusting and relying on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Have you run to Jesus? Have you called out to him? Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called out to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, I do ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting God. Heavenly Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Now, it's not the prayer that saves us. It's not the words that save us. But it's the genuineness and sincerity of our heart of humbling ourselves before the Lord and longing for him, desiring him, clinging to him, trusting him, believing in him, and then running to him and asking him to be the Lord of your life. And when you do that, the words are a vehicle we use, but it's Jesus that saves us, right? We don't want to be confused and think we can just say some words or say a prayer, and that's what saves us. Again, that's the vehicle we use. That's the manner we use. When it says, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? That's how you call out to him. That's how you run to him, right? But it's, it's the genuineness and sincerity of your heart and my heart that matters. So we see that they had a, a, a motive for Jesus that wasn't pure. They wanted to use him to their own ends. And because of that, Jesus removes himself, but they follow him. Verse 22 says, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there. So they'd been paying attention to Jesus's moves and the disciples' moves. And that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. So you can see they're, they're very zoned in, right? They have a motive here. They have a desire here. They are even aware. The other gospel says that Jesus made his disciples get in a boat, right, Janice? Um, and that's a that's an important point. It doesn't say it here in John. But then 
he gave him instructions to, to go across the lake, but he didn't go with him. It says he went up on a mountainside to pray in the other gospels in Mark and Matthew. Verse 23, then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. It's interesting that John mentions here that, again, he gives this, he gives this insight that what had happened was that boats from Tiberias landed around where, where Jesus had fed the people. But then he adds in, after the Lord had given thanks. Look at this. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So John references that what was important about the bread was that Jesus was thankful for the bread. You remember Jesus is thankful to the heavenly father for having the five loaves and the two fish, where I would have been like, I would not have been thankful for the five loaves and two fish. I'd have been, I'd have been frantically praying to God about how am I going to feed these 20,000 people? But when Jesus is thankful for what he does have, Peyton, instead of complaining about what he doesn't have, he has more than, more than enough to feed what could be up to 20,000 people and pick up 12 baskets. When John mentions after the Lord had given thanks, again, Jesus has a, a, a lifestyle of thanksgiving, and we ought to have a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And that can be hard. Very few of us as Christians have any type of genuinely thankful heart on a, on a consistent basis to the triune God. We're often not thankful to our Heavenly Father and to Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and to the Holy Spirit, our guide, our comforter and our counselor. So we want to develop a lifestyle, an increasing lifestyle of thanksgiving, just taking time throughout your day to thank Jesus, to thank your heavenly father, to thank the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you again for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, your love in our lives. We thank you for your word, the scriptures. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for being our Lord and Savior and Master and King. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life for us, for living a perfect life for us, and for dying a perfect death for us. And Jesus, we thank you that you are alive and risen. Holy Spirit, we thank you for living in us. We thank you for guiding us. We thank you that you're our comforter and you're our counselor. We just thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. Verse 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Those four words that end verse 24, there, there are no more important four words. In search of Jesus. There's nothing we can do more in this life. There is nothing of greater importance this, in this life than going in search of Jesus. Searching out Jesus. Growing to know Jesus. We talk about it every day single teaching, right? We always say, are you growing to know Jesus? Are you walking with him? Are you spending time with him? We say, hopefully you're loving on Jesus, living in Jesus. You, you want to continue to press into Jesus and to look into Jesus. But here's what's important. It says they realize that Jesus nor his disciples were there again. So they are diligently and specifically <laughs> with a certain scrutiny 
looking for Jesus. They don't find him. So they get into the boats that landed from Tiberias, the ones that could get into the boats, the ones that could obviously pay for the boats, and the rest would have had to walk. So obviously the boats weren't going to house 5,000 people. So whatever portion of the crowd could get onto these boats, um, they did. It says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Again, the ones that had not the money for the boats, they would have had to walk. Verse 25. In search of Jesus is how that, that ends. But when you're in search of Jesus, we have to be in search of him for the right heart. Because we're going to see here, when we go from 25 to 29, that Jesus tells them their heart is not right, even though they're diligently searching for Jesus. So what is your heart? Do you have a heart to want to search for Jesus just because you want to know him better, because you love him, because you want to grow to love him, because you want to serve him, because you want to obey him, because you want to be like him? Or do you just go to Jesus for what we can get from him? And Father, I ask you to forgive us and I ask you to help us that we would have a proper heart in search of Jesus. Verse 25. So they get on the boats to go over to Capernaum. Verse 25, when they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, to me, this is the most interesting part of this. Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. That's 26 and 27. So, so they ask him, look what they ask him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, this is the crowd, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, you notice Jesus isn't going to answer them, Stephen. Jesus is not going to answer them at all as to when he got, what would, what would he tell them? Well, this is how it happened. Last night, I sent my disciples over to the other side of the lake, but I intentionally put them in the way of a storm. So it would take them six to eight hours, which would normally take them an hour to row, it took them six to eight hours because I had caused such a storm to go against them. Then, at about three to six o'clock in the morning, I took a three and a half mile walk to my disciples. Yes, I walked on the water, three and a half miles, all the way out to the middle of the lake to where my disciples were straining and frustrated because they couldn't get the boat where I told them to go. But as I was passing by my disciples, they were terrified. They were scared because they didn't know me. They thought I was a ghost because they had, they, they had nothing to comprehend mentally that it would be me walking on the water. Then I told Peter to come to me. I'm sorry. Then Peter asked if he could come to me. I told him to come and he did pretty good in the beginning. But then he took his eyes off me. And he put his eyes on all the storm and the waves and the wind, and he began to sink. He cried out for me to save him, and I saved him. Then the disciples were willing to take me into the boat, because I wasn't going to force myself into the boat. And 
when the disciples took me into the boat, immediately the boat got to the other side and all the wind and the waves died down. That's what happened. But Jesus doesn't say that. That's what he would have had to tell him, right? But he doesn't tell him that at all. He doesn't tell him anything that has to do with him. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So that thing I just went through is what Jesus would have had to tell him. That's what had, that's what had happened. But it's interesting, that's not what Jesus tells them. This is what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So instead of responding to them and telling them, you know, when he got there and all the circumstances, he tells them what their heart is and what their condition is. He doesn't tell them anything about himself, but he speaks directly to their heart, their desires, and their motivations. That's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Rabbi, when did you get here? Doesn't tell them one thing. And it's often like that with us, isn't it? Oftentimes we go to Jesus and we want to ask him questions as to what, what's happening with him, why he's doing things. And for whatever reason, I often don't get answers in those. I would like them. Oftentimes I'd like answers, but I don't. This is the kind of answer we get. I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He explains to them what concerns them, the condition of their heart, because their biggest concern really shouldn't be when and how Jesus got there. Because, you know, they didn't see him get into the boat. So since they didn't see him get into the boat and it's very clear that they were watching him, they saw him make his disciples get into the boat. Then they saw him walk off to another direction up the mountain. And yet now they see him at the other side of the lake. And how could he have gotten here? Right. So they're curious as to what's happening with Jesus. When did you when did you get here? But instead of answering and explaining to them everything he had done in the middle of the night, as I just did, he says, I tell you the truth. He's, he's saying, you can believe me when I say this. He's saying, uh, verily, verily. He's saying, this is this is this is there is no doubt to my statement when he says, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me. Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So he not only does not answer their question, he speaks to them about, 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 the, about the poor motivation of their own heart. He speaks to them about the, the misguided intentions they have in their own heart. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs. Why are you looking for Jesus? We shouldn't be looking for Jesus for either of these things. Now, Jesus can do these things, and we do want to come to Jesus, and we do pray to Jesus. We, you know, when, when he teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, 9 to 13, you remember what it says there, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13, the obvious most famous prayer, right? Um, Catholics pray it religiously, actually. Um, and it's a good prayer for all of us to pray. The important part when we pray that prayer is that we don't just mimic the words. Uh, many of us, when we pray that prayer and, uh, you know, and obviously uh, those who are raised Catholic, we can get to where we pray these prayers, you know, go and say 10 Our Fathers, and you just say them as soon as, as soon as, as fast as you can. And if you're Catholic, you can relate to this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, now will be thy name. Give us the day, our day, amen. One, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, now. The point is, the prayer is a good prayer. Now, it's a model of prayer. So we can break it down, and that's for another teaching. But when we do pray it, you want to pray it slowly and thoughtfully. You want to think about the words you're saying. And in there, you hear him say, give us this day our daily bread. So it's okay, and it's a good thing to pray for, mirac for, for miracles and healing. But your true motivation should be that you would just want to know Jesus and walk with him and love him. Because you, you, you're, you're aware of his immense love for you. You're aware of the cost paid for your salvation. You're aware of the immense suffering that he went through to provide for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins and the salvation of our soul. And because of that, Lauren, right, we just want to get to know him. We want to spend time with him. We want to love him. But he says to them that their motivations are wrong. That, that their look, he said, you're, uh, because you... Not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So they were looking for Jesus as, as like a meal ticket to their next meal. And look what he says in 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And in this incredible statement, on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. It's a very powerful verse that God the Father has placed his seal of approval on Jesus. When you look at Jesus, when you see Jesus, you see the, the Father's approval in every way, 100%. That's why John 14, 6 says there's no way to get to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus himself said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for, through me. How many of us, verse 27, just work for food that spoils? Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Wow. Father, we do ask you to forgive us just for how often we work for food that spoils. The vast majority of us are consistently working as Christians, as believers, for food that spoils. When our work ought to be for food that endures for eternal life. The, 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 our lives ought to be focused so much on Jesus, knowing Jesus as our Savior, and then after we've received him, living our lives in him, right? We ought to be focused not so much on this life, but on the next. Now listen, uh, this is hard to do. I don't believe I do it very well. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. That's Jesus. Jesus will give you food that endures 
to eternal life. And this is what he wants you to work for, Jesus says, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now they're going to ask an important question, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Again, everything is on Jesus. God the Father has not put his seal of approval on anyone else when it comes to the food you need for eternal life. God the Father, the only place God the Father's seal of approval comes on regarding you having eternal life is Jesus. Okay? Not on David, not on Moses, not on, uh, not on any of the apostles, not on Mary, uh, not on Muhammad, not on Buddha, not on Confucius. None of them have the seal of approval of God the Father to get to eternal life. Eternal life comes only in and through Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can have our sins forgiven, come into relationship with the triune God, and ultimately go to heaven when we die. No other way. I think it's Acts 4.12, where they say there's no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven. Only in Jesus. And as we said, Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed this, his seal of approval. 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Incredible question. And again, we don't know how much of the crowd is there, maybe a few thousand, but then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Now, again, they're speaking of what work must we do to get to heaven? They're asking Jesus, what do we need to go and do? What is required of us? What work is required of us to attain and go to heaven? What does God require? It's the most important age-old question everywhere. What must we do to do the works God requires? What is God requiring of me to do to go to heaven is their question. And Jesus is going to make it unambiguously clear. He's going to answer them, so this cannot be confusing. There's nothing you or I can do. There is nothing. There is no work God requires us to do. The only thing he requires of us, verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it, Ethan. The work of God is this to believe in the one he has sent. So you notice they're asking what they must do. And he says, it's not about what you do. It's about what you believe about God. It's what you believe about the son of God. And when he says belief here, he's not, the word belief doesn't mean to give intellectual assent to Christ. It doesn't mean to acknowledge that Jesus existed. 
doesn't mean to believe that Jesus existed as a man and died on the cross. Okay? Of course, we believe all that, right? Just like you and I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States, great general in the Civil War. We believe Abraham Lincoln was an incredible U.S. president, freed the slaves, right? Ended slavery. Um, we, we believe you, we believe that we're certain that we believe it. So we believe that Jesus existed. And of course we do, but that's not what this means. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? There's nothing you and I can do. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The word believe here means to, to trust in or rely upon or cling to. Be like me saying to, to my wife, you know, when she's, uh, when she's just going through something and she's struggling or she's practicing this, this incredible piano piece. And I say, may I believe in you. I believe you can do it. When I say, may I believe in you, right? I'm not. I'm not telling her I believe she exists, and she knows that. Of course she exists, okay? What I'm saying is I have full confidence and faith, and I fully believe in you. I trust in you. I rely on you. My confidence is in you. I know you can do it. So to believe in Jesus means when he says, Jesus answered the work of God, this is the work of God, not to do the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It's a very profound statement because every religion in the world is trying to do something for God. They have this idea of a scale that, that you know, he's going to put their good on one side of the scale when they get to heaven and he's going to put their bad on the other. He's going to take all the good things they do and put it on one side and they think, then God's going to put all the bad things they do on the other and they hope the good outweighs the bad. It, it doesn't work that way. Good doesn't take away bad. It never has. There's nothing I can do to go to heaven. There's nothing I can do to have my sins forgiven. There's nothing I can do to come into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I must believe in Jesus as the Son of God. I must believe the Word of God by faith that Jesus is the son of God, that of his own will and decision, he came and entered the world and lived a perfect life for me. And then he died a torturous death for me. And he is indeed alive and risen today. And it's in, it's in believing that and in trusting that and giving myself to Jesus and trusting and relying on him for the forgiveness of my sins and the salvation of my soul, knowing I'm hopeless desperate and helpless without him. Only hell awaits without Jesus. It's when I run to Jesus and when I believe in him to the point that I'm trusting and relying on him and putting my full faith and confidence in him. Some of us have heard all the analogies, right? You can believe that the chair will hold you when you sit in it. You could look across that room and you could believe that the chair will hold you. But until you put your trust in that chair, until you put your reliance in that chair, and until you do that by going over there and sitting in that chair, the chair can do nothing for you, right? You can believe the boat can take you across to the other side. You can believe that entirely, but until you get on that boat, 
Literally put your trust in that boat. Activate your belief by trusting in that boat, getting on that boat, and letting the boat carry you to the other side. Okay? You have to get, you have to, to, to put your trust in Jesus Christ. You have to put your faith fully in Jesus Christ. You have to put your reliance fully on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, knowing him to be your only hope. And in that way, that's the work of God, to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, Father, we do love you and we bless you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your incredible word. We thank you for the living word of God. We thank you for the holy scriptures, Father. Father, but above all, again, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King and God. Lord Jesus, we worship you and we thank you. We thank you for your words, Lord. We thank you for becoming a human man. And Lord, we thank you for living your life for us and dying on the cross for us. We thank you that you are alive and risen, Lord, and we believe that the work of God is this, to believe in you, Lord, as our only hope our only Savior, our only Master, our only King, Jesus, we worship you. Lord, I ask you to forgive us when we, when we work for food that spoils. I ask you to help us to, to, to give our lives, Lord, working for food that does not spoil, but that endures for eternal life, beginning with receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, forgive us when our motives for pursuing you are wrong, Forgive us, Jesus, when we search you out with the wrong motives. Holy Spirit, we love you and we bless you today. We ask you to go ahead of us, giving us eyes that see and ears that hear. Seal the word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.